Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Door, a weekly broadcast that examines what Lutheran Christians believe about God, the world, and us. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and I invite you to join us for the next hour. And later, we will take questions at 740-383-9944, that's 740-383-WWGH, or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Good Friday morning, everybody, and welcome to the Wittenberg Door. My name is Pastor Brett Cornelius, and I'm uh, uh, the pastor for Gethsemane Lutheran Church, who sponsors the Wittenberg Door. With me, as always, is Alan Dean, my bodyguard, and... uh, Mm -hmm. Uh, Alan, thanks for being with me again this morning. Thank and you. We got Scott Spears at the uh, helm, uh, guiding the rudder on the ship. So I think we're in pretty good hands. We got a, we even <coughs> got a, a co-pilot, a backup pilot. Terry's here today. So, all right, welcome everybody. Uh, well, as I said in the beginning, uh, in the opening of the show, uh, this is a call-in program. Uh, what we do today, uh, what we're going to do today is uh, we're going to start with a story. We're going to go through uh, the lessons coming up for our uh, Sunday coming up here. And uh, and then we're going to take any questions or calls that you have, uh, which uh, you're welcome to call at any time uh, as we discuss these issues. And, and we hope you do. So, Alan, uh, we have a... a, we have a uh, story today. Where, where does the story come from? Uh, this is out of Canada, and this is um, from the United Church of Canada, and it, this article is from the CBC News. So, um, an ordained United Christian, United Church of Canada minister who believes neither in God nor the Bible said Wednesday she's prepared to fight for an unprecedented unprecedented attempt to boot her from her from the pulpit for her beliefs. Hmm. In an interview at her West Hill Church, Reverend Greta Vosper said congregants support her view that how you live is more important than what you believe in. I don't believe in the God called God, Vosper said, using the words to get in the way of sharing what I want to share. Vosper, 57, who was ordained in 1993 and joined her East End Church in 1997, said the idea of an an interventionist supernatural being on which so much church doctrine is based belongs to an outdated worldview. What's important, she said, is that her views hearken to Christianity's beginnings before the focus shift from how one lived to doctrinal belief in God, Jesus, and the Bible. Is the Bible really the word of God? Was Jesus a person, she said? It's mythology. We build a faith tradition upon it, which shifted to find belief more important than how we lived. Vosper made her views clear as far back as the Sunday sermon in 2001, but her congregation stood behind her until a decision to do away with the Lord's Prayer in 2008 prompted about 100 of the 150 members to leave. The rest backed her. Things came to a head this year after she wrote an open letter to the church's spiritual leader pointing out that belief in God can motivate bad things, a reference to the Charlie Hebdo massacre in Paris. That didn't go over well, Vosper said, but if we're going to continue to use language that suggests we get our moral authority from a 
supernatural source, any group that says that can trump any humanistic endeavor. Reverend David Allen, Executive Secretary of the Toronto Conference, said he took various concerns about Vosper to the church executive, which decided it wanted to investigate her fitness to be a minister. First, however, they needed to know the process. We've never done it before, Allen said. In response, Nora Sanders, General Secretary of the church's general counselor, issued a ruling in May laying out a review process that could ultimately lead to Vosper's defrocking. Essentially, Sanders said, the review should determine whether she was being faithful to her ordination vows, which included affirming the belief in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isn't that funny? Uh, let me stop you there for a second, Ellen, because here this woman took ordination vows, uh, which confessed faith in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it's just said uh-huh. And yet earlier on she's saying uh, she has the right to be the pastor there and to be an unbeliever uh, because how you live is more important than what you believe. Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't how you live also, uh, wouldn't uh, you know, keeping your word and uh, saying what you mean uh, you know, not deceiving people, not telling them in your ordination vows, for instance, that you believe in something that you don't believe in, or uh, not continuing in an office where you have said that you believe these things and your ordination was based on the fact that you believe these things, uh, not continuing in that office when you clearly no longer believe in those things. Uh, it's kind of a, a misrepresentation, and um, isn't that really part of how we live? Being honest, uh, and 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 being faithful to our vows. Oh, yeah. If you can't be faithful to that vow anymore, then you don't belong in the office anymore. It, it's 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 just funny the disconnect that occurs when people are trying to justify their sin, and. Um, so, uh, kind of, that's kind of good. Complete the article there. <clears throat> well, Vosper's appealing Sanders' ruling, saying it puts any minister at risk of being judged <laughs> and found wanting. Yeah. An ecclesiastical court is set to hear her appeal in the fall. Allen concedes that the issue has the potential to cause disunity in the United Church, <laughs> which prides itself on tolerance for diversity and inclusiveness. Hmm. What we don't want is to limit the scope of beliefs within the church. And yet what's being questioned here was, has she gone too far, Helen hmm. said? The vision hmm. of the United Church of Canada is, there is a God in whom we believe, and our statement of faith is very clear about this. Hmm. Randy Boast, board chairman at West Hill. Let me, let me stop you yeah. again there, because uh, here here is a church that's founded on the principle of tolerance and diversity. These, I mean, these are the uh, part of the core values of this church. Uh, and yet we really kind of see the limits of tolerance and diversity. Uh, as tolerance and diversity, uh, as that becomes a principle by which you govern the church, uh, you see that there's no place where that stops. Yeah. Uh, you know, when can you finally say, and at some point everyone has to finally say, uh, you know, this or that is wrong. Every 
living human being makes judgments about what's right and what's wrong. No one is accepted. Even this woman here who uh, claims to have no faith in God, uh, she is talking about uh, uh, the right way that you live. Well, how can you determine the right way you live if there is no uh, objective right or wrong? If there's no objective thing, if there's no f- such thing, for instance, in the church as doctrine and as uh, as binding doctrine. And um, I think it's Ravi Zacharias mm-hmm. who talks about this in relation to Hinduism. He says Hinduism just, you know, it just opens its arms and it draws in every kind of belief in, a, in any kind of God that you can imagine. He said the tragedy of it, and of course the tragedy of human sin, is when it finally begins to close its arms. When, when tolerance finally begins to close itself, what it does is it chokes on itself because it's accepted so much in the past. And any church that doesn't have uh, a, a doctrines and beliefs does not worthy of being called a church. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's finish. The I'll article. close with one last statement from uh, Vosper. She says, "If the cost of that is that we no longer we are no longer welcome within this denomination, it will be because that denomination has defined us out of it, hmm. not because we have defined ourselves out of it." Hmm. And that's <laughs> that denomination. You know, uh, denomination is by the very that very word implies that there is a division between that and something else. Otherwise, it's not a denomination. Uh, so to you know to say, well, this, this denomination is going to exclude me. Of course, every denomination is going to exclude something. Um, you know what's really uh, what's really tragic about all this is I don't believe that this woman is alone. Yeah. I don't think that, uh, uh, I think that, you know, there may be, especially if she wins or whatever in, in her case against the church, uh, I think there's going to be more of this. I think there are a lot of so-called pastors who don't really believe the Bible anymore. They don't believe in God, maybe, even. Uh, They're more convinced by uh, uh, what they consider to be the arguments of science. And so they're continuing to fill the role of pastor, either out of some misguided sense of purpose that they're put there to, uh, or that they're there to, somehow help alleviate people's sufferings or you know they convince themselves that they're still doing some good even though they are violating their ordination vows or they're just parasites and there's you know uh, I'm, I'm sure there's some of the just some people who don't know what else to do you know they've got this they've worked for this degree uh, some people for seven years or more have worked on these religious degree degrees. Now, where can you take that education if you can't take it to the church? It's the only thing they, they are trained to do, supposedly. It's the only thing they know how to do, they think. And so they remain in this position. Where they, you know, maybe the only thing left to them is teaching, I don't know, becoming a philosopher. That's not really an occupation that 
that is in demand right now, philosopher. Not, not big demand for yeah. company I philosopher. Mean, uh, yeah. You know, maybe uh, an ethicist or something, but you're going to find that in academia. And so if you don't find a, if you don't find an alternative way to earn a living there, uh, what choice do some of these people have? But to remain in the church and to kind of feed off the the life of the church. Um, in order to in order to kind of squeak by, it's really it's a sad thing. You know that when pastors and various denominations are denying the the core principles of the denomination, denying the core principles of the scriptures, uh, you know that's occurring. They won't always be as honest or as blatant and come out and say it like this. One thing you have to admire is is the woman's uh, honesty uh, in a sense. She's at least admitting that she doesn't believe. And you know there are others who don't believe and just won't admit it and uh, will skirt around the issues as long as they can because, of course, this is the only way they know how to earn a living. I Uh, guess. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. She still has 50 people there. Still has 50 people there. Wow. (laughs) Talk about church growth, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, what does Abraham Lincoln say? You can fool some of the people some of the time. And, uh, yeah. However, the rest of that goes. <laughs> some of the people are being fooled. They are. Uh, yeah. Deceived, actually. And, and it's not a joke. It's, it's kind of no, sad. it's not. Here are these people who are, have entrusted their souls to someone who obviously is not worthy of, of that trust. Uh, who has at, at some point has lied to get where she is today, and uh, uh, yeah, tragic. So I guess that's where it all ends. Yeah, you, you take a, one part out of the Bible. And yeah, that's right. That's right. Like Tevia in Fiddler on the Roof says, "One little time you pull out the prop, and where does it stop? Where does it stop?" <laughs> Right, tradition. <laughs> For those of you who are familiar Tradition. with that, with that play or movie, <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So, anything else you have, Alan? Uh, that's it for today. Okay. Well, um, you know, folks, we usually don't spend a whole lot of time on our lessons, and today that's it's good that today we have have a little more time to spend on our lessons. We're looking forward to that. So, uh, Alan. We begin our lessons with the uh, intro, with the psalm, usually, that uh, the church speaks together, speaks to each other as we speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, mm-hmm. as Paul says in the liturgy. Uh, so what's our intro at coming up for this Sunday? The 11th Sunday after Trinity, by the way. It's the 11th Sunday after Trinity, and this is from the book of Psalms, 68th chapter. God is in his holy habitation. He settles the solitary in a home. The God of Israel, he is the one who gives power and strength to his people. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. But the righteous shall be glad, they shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. O God, when he went out before your people, In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. Blessed is the Lord who daily bears upon us, bears us up. God is our salvation. 
Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. God is in his holy habitation. He settles the solitary in a home. The God of Israel, he is the one who gives power and strength to Mm. his people. Amen. Amen. Um, You know... uh, the intro it often sets the tone for the week for the lessons of the week and here we see in this intro we see god presented as the helper of the needy uh you know the needy are the ones who have no resources of their own they're completely dependent upon somebody else and god puts himself forward in the holy scriptures he puts himself forward as the helper of that one that one who needs his help and uh and, and provides them with salvation. And uh, we see this in our lessons today. As we go on, uh, that becomes a, l- a little more clear. But you see definitely who God is. God is the one who's here. He's ready to help us. He's ready to help those who are poor. Uh, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And, mm-hmm. and the psalmist is really saying the same thing. Uh, so, okay, very good. So let's go to the Old Testament lesson. And, and where do we find the Old Testament lesson, Alan? By the way, folks, we want to re- remind you that this is a call-in program. Uh, the number for calls is 740-383-9944. So uh, if you have a question or comment, give us a call as we go. And uh, the Old Testament reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regarded had regard for Abel and his offering. But Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desire for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you walk the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, this is one of, I think, one of those stories from Scripture that is almost 
universally known. Most people are, are familiar with uh, Cain and Abel. It's the um, the imagery and the uh, 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 the drama that takes place mm-hmm. in this in this narrative here in the early early part of Genesis is so compelling. Uh, it has uh, made its way into uh, popular culture even today. You know, uh, rock songs and Bruce Springsteen, Adam, Adam Slade, Adam uh, raised a cane. You know, uh, it's uh, you know, it's it's just one of those stories that are universally known, and I think it's also universally understood or misunderstood. I'm sorry, because uh, I think what most people think of this. Uh, uh, this narrative as as uh, primarily about murder. Mm-hmm. Now, it is about murder, but uh, but primarily it's also a this. There's uh, so many dimensions to this thing. Oh yeah, so many dimensions to this story because it's it's primarily a a, a story about the antagonism that takes place between um, uh, the people of God. And uh, you know the people of the world. Uh, there is this dimension of um, uh, how we come before God and what we offer Him. I think a lot of people uh, misinterpret this story by 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 the way, folks. When I mean by when I say story, I'm just using the you know common usage. Uh, we believe that this is true. We believe that the, this is history. That this actually happened. Um, and uh, but but when uh, they're uh, viewing this uh, account of uh, early man, uh, they make this kind of this uh, judgment that perhaps when Cain, you know, the reason why is why is it that Cain Abel is is uh, accepted for his offering and Cain is rejected, and I think the natural conclusion. And indeed, it is a natural conclusion that people come to is Abel is accepted by God because Abel brings something better to God than Cain brought. Um, Or maybe to put it another way, Abel's works were better than Cain's works. Or maybe to even define it a little more sharply, Abel brings the best of what he has to offer, and Cain probably brings something that's not so good, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so they're both kind of bringing their works to God. And God accepts the works of one because his works are good and God able, and God doesn't accept the uh, works of another because Abraham, or maybe, uh, I'm sorry, Cain could have brought uh, better produce to offer. Right. Right? And, of course, it really has nothing to do with that um abel brings and 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 we're going to learn this i think a a, a little better as we get into the epistle and the gospel lesson uh remember folks that scripture interprets scripture when there is something in scripture that we find that's not quite as easy to understand um those portions of scripture are are interpreted by the uh, less difficult passages, or maybe we might say the clearer passages of Scripture, actually teach us how to interpret 
the not so clear. And, and what's not so clear is, is exactly what's happening here is that Abel brings this offering in faith and Cain brings an offering of, of works. Okay. In other words, what's really taking place here is, is that not that Abel brings the best of the flock because he wants to do something really good for God. But in bringing the best of the flock, Abel is recognizing uh, his sin and his need for atonement. Uh, That something else must come in his place. Some life must be um, taken in order to to, uh, atone for his sins. Now, Abel doesn't come to this conclusion, I don't think, uh, uh, by accident. This is exactly what's happened in the life of the parents of Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, Mm -hmm. when they sinned. And God had said that the penalty for sin would be what, Alan? Death. Death. And the day you eat of it, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And on that day, they ate from it, they hid from God, they covered themselves in fig leaves. In other words, they tried to cover up their own sin and shame by their own works. And, of course, God finds this unacceptable. Uh, God had said that on the day you eat of it, you will die, that death is the penalty for sin. And yet God, in his mercy, didn't uh, take the life of Adam and Eve but he took the life of something. And as, uh, Alan, as you recount that story of Adam and Eve, do you remember what God does after he confronts Adam and Eve with their sin? Uh, he provides them with clothing, right? Yes. Yes. He provides them with skins for clothing. And where do skins come from? Animals. Animals. So, uh, in other words, uh, something had to die mm-hmm. on that day in the place of Adam and Eve in order for their sin to be covered and uh, their shame to be covered. Uh, so in that recognition, as, as Abel brings this, the best of his flock to the Lord as an offering, he is recognizing that because of his sin, death is necessary right? Mm-hmm. And uh, a death has to occur. Where, where Cain uh, believes in some way that it's his produce, it's his efforts, it's his, uh, um, maybe we might say, his gratitude to God that is what God will accept, what, what God will, uh, what will put him on friendlier terms with his creator. And, uh, and it's for this reason that God rejects the offering of Cain and he accepts the, the offering of Abel because Cain came to God on the basis of works where Abel came to God on the basis of uh, faith in, in, um, in what we might say is the ultimate sacrifice in the, in the sacrifice to come, uh, Cain offered his sacrifice uh, in faith of the coming Savior. Right? And I, I believe that's uh, uh, Hebrews 11 tells us that 
uh, Abel did offer his uh, uh, sacrifice uh, in faith, that he was looking ahead like Moses and Abraham and the rest of them. They were looking ahead to the sacrifice to come, of which this firstling of his flock was was a kind of just a symbolic uh, representative, uh, something to... Um, stand in for Christ until the until the one sacrifice is made. And so really what this story is uh, is a, it's a story about faith and works. It's a lesson to us about faith and works. And so um, faith is uh, uh, Abel is justified. Abel is uh, accepted by God and Cain is not. Now you notice what happens after that. You have uh, this distinction, really. Really, what what will become uh, in the in the ensuing chapters, a story about the uh, communities of faith and works, or the communities of the the city of what will Augustine will will eventually call the city of God and the city of man. After after Cain is banished, he goes and he establishes a city. Um, and uh, Augustine borrows from this uh, uh, imagery uh, to establish this uh, kind of dichotomy between the city of God and the city of man. And uh, just as there was here in the fourth chapter of Genesis, there is a, um, uh, a, a war or a hostility that takes place between uh, uh, those who are religious, by the way, uh, man is by nature religious, uh, so it doesn't have anything to do with people of faith, uh, you know, people of uh, religious people and non-religious people, but um, people who believe a certain thing and people who who don't, people who believe in the coming Savior in the, in their case, or people who believe in the, don't believe in the coming Savior but believe in their own their own efforts that uh, justify them before God. Uh, so. Uh, when Cain kills Abel, it's kind of a, a the beginning of that hostility that takes place between the community of faith and the community of man, the uh, community of God, the city of God, and the city of man. And we see it pictured right there. Uh, and this hostility we see throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament, especially in the Gospels and primarily in the Gospels, and especially, uh, especially when Christ himself is confronted by those who believe in works, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who believe they obtain salvation not by faith, but by works. And, uh, and this hostility off, um, ultimately leads to the cross of Christ, where God triumphs over the forces of the world, and God triumphs over the forces of sin and darkness and death, and God justifies man by faith and through faith in Christ. You know, it's funny. One of the things it says in that in the uh, Genesis account is that after Cain kills Abel, what happens? Um, God confronts uh, a, uh, Cain. Uh, by the way, uh, I like the way Luther handles this because he he says that God is confronting Cain through the mouth of a, through the mouth of um, Adam. Uh, so uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a direct voice from God, but God speaking through his representative Adam to Cain. Now, 
we don't know if it's at, if that actually how it happens, but it it makes sense that it happens in that way. Uh, we don't necessarily know that it was directly God, but uh, at, at any rate, whether directly or indirectly, God speaks to to Cain, and one of the things he says is, "What your brother's blood cries to me from the ground." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, uh, in that sense, uh, Adam, uh, Adam, getting ready to rename you there, Alan. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that sense, Alan, what was it that Abel's blood was crying out for? Uh, Christ, uh, or he says, "Your he says about he says to Cain, your brother's blood cries to me from the ground." And it sounds like to me that he's crying for vengeance, right? Well, that, yeah. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't uh, you know, when someone is uh, senselessly or uh, unjustly, their life is taken, that, uh, that uh, uh, vengeance is, is right and good, um, carried out, of course, by the proper authorities. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, here is here is Abel's blood crying from the ground, and I like what the writer of Hebrews has to say about this. Uh, he says um, uh, he talks about the blood of Christ. He says, which speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the blood of Christ cries out not for vengeance, but for mercy. Mm. It becomes the source of mercy, where whereas the blood of other, uh, you know people who are slain cries out for judgment cries out for retribution and uh so that's an interesting uh interesting dimension of that story there's one more very interesting dimension i'm just going to cover this real quickly because Mm -hmm. we're running out of time um one more very interesting is that when this account begins with the birth of cain and abel and when cain is born Eve says something that is uh, uh, a little mysterious, a little uh, the grammar is is uh, not quite clear to most translators. And when uh, translators take up this passage, uh, they translate the words of Eve as saying, as saying, um, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Right. Well, actually, what the Hebrew says is, I have gotten a man, the Lord. Now, what would those words mean, even? Because obviously, as we find out in the account, Cain is not the Lord. No. Uh, and, and does it mean that Eve is expecting the Lord? And I think it, that is exactly what it means. Mm-hmm. Uh, in... The Genesis uh, fall, uh, in, in the fall of Genesis, in, in, um, in chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sin and God confronts them, one of the things that God promises as he speaks to the serpent is, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. Uh, uh, you will bruise him on the hill and he will crush your head. That's kind of a paraphrase. Uh, in other words, um, there will be a wound uh, to the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman will ultimately crush uh, the serpent. Mm-hmm. The ultimate, uh, uh, which Christ, Christ Himself, ultimately does at the cross and in the resurrection. Christ crushes the power of the devil, crushes the power of the enemy. Uh, 
So Eve was looking for uh, her seed, her, her descendant, someone who would crush the devil in his work. And, uh, and what this tells us, I think, about, about uh, Adam and Eve is that, number one, they were promised a Savior. And we have to interpret Genesis 3 in that light, as Scripture later, later tells mm-hmm. us. Uh, and number two, they believed that promise, and they were waiting on the fulfillment of the promise. Even though that fulfillment doesn't take place in Cain, but it ultimately takes place in Christ. Uh, we know that the ancients were looking for the fulfillment of the promise God made to Eve. Uh, I think this is also true of Noah's father, Lamech. When Noah says, or when Lamech says, when Noah's born, Lamech says, uh, this one shall give us rest. It may be that uh, Lamech believes that that God in, in uh, uh, sending Noah, having Noah be born, that uh, God is fulfilling the promise that he made to Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it wouldn't be, um, you know, uh, out of the ordinary for people of faith to be wrong about something. And uh, Eve was clearly wrong about this, but I think it shows, number one, Eve's faith, and it shows who it was exactly. I have gotten a man, the Lord. It shows us the nature of this coming Savior. He is the God-man. Mm-hmm. He's God and man in one person. Okay, well, I've spent a lot of time on that <laughs> lesson, uh, and we could spend a lot more. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's go on to the epistle lesson. I want to just read <clears throat> through this and and mark especially uh, what it has to say about works, because mm-hmm. um, it coincides very well with our Old Testament account of Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. This is from the book of Ephesians, beginning with chapter 2. And you were dead in the tras- trespasses of sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work with the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the coming ages in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay. Well, you know, this epistle lesson is, uh, again, um, here the Apostle Paul is explicitly uh, and very uh, clearly telling us what the source of our salvation is. And it's not us, folks. You see, uh, Paul begins by telling us something about ourselves, that we were born dead in sin. And dead means dead. 
uh, we were we were without hope. We were without God in the world. He says earlier, um, and, uh, and and we walked in our trespasses and sins. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, Alan, mm. when the Bible talks about trespasses and sins, uh, when the Bible talks about our sinful nature, uh, should we conclude that it means only those things that people recognize as as sinful, um, at almost a, in a way kind of criminal. Uh, you know, I think we tend to think of sin as like things like adultery, uh, stealing, stealing, murder, Cain and Abel. Uh, but is is that really the height of sin, or is there um, is sin also not uh, manifest in the way that we approach God, I think uh, this right. is this is what we get wrong most of all, is that our sinful nature doesn't stop when man attempts to worship God. In fact, our our sinful nature becomes its most dangerous mm-hmm. when we try to worship God, as we see in the case of Cain, who is trying to worship God, but he's trying to worship God on his own terms and in his own way. But Cain is dead in sin. Cain is thoroughly sinful, and even his religious instincts are sinful. So when Paul says here, we walked in our trespasses and sins, he's not just talking about our lust or our greed or our pride. It's spiritual pride. It's religious pride that that captures Cain. Not all religious instincts are good, and especially if those religious instincts begin with... uh, a false opinion of ourselves. Paul mm. says we're born in trespasses and sins, that we were children of wrath like the rest. But, but what has happened? God, who is rich in mercy, has saved us. Mm-hmm. He's rescued us. It's by God's doing. It's by grace. That word grace is, is so wonderful. Uh, it means unmerited favor. Something we didn't earn, something we don't deserve, something that's given to us, as Paul says quite explicitly there, something that's given to us as a gift. And what is it that's given us to as a gift? Our justification. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so that so that Paul says, no one may boast. Now, uh, I can't. We, you know, we really don't have. I wish we had a little bit more time to spend on this on this section, but I think it'll become clearer here as we go to the gospel lesson and, and we see really where Paul's getting at as illustrated by this parable that Jesus teaches us. So why don't you read the gospel lesson then? Sure. Okay. The Holy Gospel is from the book of Luke, chapter 18. <clears throat> Jesus also told this parable to some who had trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I think, I, th- I, th- I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, 
but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now here is the perfect illustration. Here we have Adam and Eve, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, Cain and Abel, uh, redone in uh, contemporary times. Uh, Jesus is in his uh, to his audience. He's really what he's doing is he's restating uh, the account of Cain and Abel, the Pharisee who goes up who takes pride in his own works, who believes that God kind of owes him something. God will justify him because he fasts twice a week and he, he uh, uh, um, uh, prays. Uh, what, what, tithes of, tithe, of, all pays of, tithes of all that he gets. He, uh, he's not like other men. He's not an adulterer. Uh, you know, he's not a thief or whatever. He, he goes and whatever he prides himself in, here is a man who's boasting about his own religiosity. He's boasting about uh, his own spirituality, and he and he and although he's thanking God, it really you, you get the idea that really he he thinks God should be thanking him. <laughs> God should be rewarding him. And here is this other man who feels like he has nothing to offer to God. He won't even lift up his face to heaven because. He doesn't feel worthy. He doesn't feel deserving. Here's a man who's empty of all boasting. Here's a man who knows exactly who he is, a sinner who can only throw himself at the mercy of God. And just as the intro, you know, the psalm we read in the beginning teaches us that God comes to the humble, God comes to those who need rescue. Mm -hmm. And here it is that, that God comes to this man and he... Uh, justifies him. He declares him righteous, which is what the word justification is. The, the, the Pharisee believed that he had the right to God's mercy or that he had the right to God's uh, approval. And uh, the, the, sad, the, uh, the sinner who knows he doesn't have any right to God's approval and yet throws himself at the mercy of God. Mm-hmm. And here is, this is really just a picture of the gospel. Because, yeah. folks, we do have no claim on God's approval. All our works and all our goodness is really kind of a, 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 a pretended uh, uh, fascia. It's a, it's a front that we put on. We are, at best, sinners who deserve God's wrath. But, folks, God does not give wrath to us. In his mercy, God sent his son, his only begotten son, the God-man, Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the promise that he made to Eve, the fulfillment of the promise that Abel was waiting on, the one who comes and lives the perfect life, the one that we shouldn't have lived, and uh, in our place and dies for us and suffers God's wrath for us so that we might be forgiven and free, that we might experience God's mercy. He rose again to declare salvation and life for everyone who believes. And God's just, we are justified, as Paul tells us, by grace through faith in Christ, the one who died and rose again for us that we might be saved. Amen. And, uh, of course, that's the, that's the uh, lesson we have every week, folks, because that's the only gospel there is. Absolutely. Uh, the good news of salvation in Christ Jesus uh, and everyone who believes 
and is baptized will be saved. Grant this, O Lord, unto us all. <laughs> well, folks, we thank you for joining us today. It looks like our closing seconds. We hope you'll join us again today at uh, uh, join us again uh, Sunday morning at nine or Wednesday at seven. If you don't have a church home, our church is located at two nineteen East Church Street in Marion, Ohio. Our service is at ten thirty on Sunday mornings. We welcome you to be with us. Thanks and God bless. You're listening to WWGH Radio 107.1 LP, Marion, Ohio. The place to talk. From legendary comedian Abe Vagoda. Can you still recite Shakespeare? Yes. Methinks I am a prophet new, inspired, and thus inspiring to foretell of him. His rash, fierce, blaze of riot cannot last. For violent fires soon burn out themselves. Like vanity, satiate cormorant, consuming means soon preys upon the soul. And go on and on, this royal throne of kings, this scepter dial, this earth of mockers. Yes, I did Shakespeare and I retained the dialogue. To Emmy Award-winning star of Picket Fences, Fiveish Finkel. All day long, If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard. If I were a bitty bitty rich. I did it, died it, little man. I build a big tall house with rooms by the dozen right in the middle of the town. I don't want to sing anymore. I'm going to pay me. I, <laughs> I love it, Fibish. <laughs> and, and <laughs> WWGH Radio streaming live on the internet at www.wwgh1071.com. Search for us on Facebook by searching. WWGH Marion, Ohio 107.1 FM and clicking like. This is Phil Reed and I want you to join me every Monday from 11:10 a.m. until 12 p.m. on WWG